0: All right, morning, everyone. I'd like to open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter one, and you go ahead and stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Isaiah one. We'll read verses one through six. Isaiah one one. The vision of Isaiah the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Children have I reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner, and the donkey, its master's crib, but Israel does not know, my people do not understand. Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly. They have forsaken the Lord, they have despised the Holy One of Israel, they are utterly estranged. Why will you be struck down? Why will you continue to rebel? And now the part for this morning. The whole head is sick, and the whole heart faint. From the sole of the foot, even to the head, there is no soundness in it, but bruises and sores and raw wounds. They are not pressed out or bound up or softened with oil. And you may be seated. Father, I thank you for this time this morning and this discussion of the danger of self-righteousness that would blind us to our sickness. We, uh, spiritually speaking, we see the the sickness of the Israelites here as the prophet Isaiah condemned them, many of them, I'm sure, very, very healthy physically, but unaware of their spiritual condition, Lord. And so we thank you for the great physician who makes us well, but we recognize our pride would blind us to our, our need to be healed Uh, i don't think any of us have a complete awareness of our sinfulness before such a holy god and so we we do come before you thanking you for christ's righteousness that would allow us to um, boldly approach your throne i pray for your word to continue to sanctify us this morning and give us a greater appreciation both for your unholiness and our unrighteousness so we would have a greater appreciation for christ and what he's done for us lord and we pray these things in his name amen title title this morning's sermon is the danger of self-righteousness so sunday mornings we are working our way through loose gospel verse by verse we are going to be back there next week you do notice we're in isaiah this morning but that's simply because this morning is going to be kind of like part two of last sunday's sermon so if if i i just couldn't get this in last sunday's sermon and so if last sunday if i would have preached for two hours then this would have been the second hour of last sunday's sermon and the next sunday we will continue back in luke 15 Uh, at verse 2 and we'll be looking at some religious leaders so this will help build us up for that because we're going to see the religious leaders who are incredibly self-righteous looking down on others which brings jesus to preach those three very endearing parables of the lost coin and lost sheep and lost sons and so this helps us helps set us up this discussion of self-righteousness that's what this is kind of born out of seeing the self-righteousness of the religious leaders there in luke 15. so we're going to continue basically where we left off after last sunday's sermon so Let me briefly review what we're talking about you might remember the emphasis on jesus being the great physician in luke 5 31 he said those who are well have no need of a physician but those who are sick and we talked about how fitting it is to describe jesus as a physician i won't go you can go back and listen to that sermon to hear the different parallels between an earthly physician and jesus our our heavenly physician earthly physicians heal physical sickness Jesus heals spiritual sickness earthly physicians work on the body Jesus works on the soul now look in Isaiah 1 verse 1 says the vision of Isaiah the son of Amos which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of these kings Uzziah Jotham Ahaz and Hezekiah kings of Judah so Isaiah speaking to Judah in the days of these kings and if you're familiar with the jews during this season of history although sadly like most of the seasons of their history they were not in a particularly good place they were struggling spiritually especially under the reign of ahaz look what isaiah said to them in verse 5 about their spiritual condition or about their sickness he says why will you be struck down why will you continue to rebel the whole head is sick so he tells them they're sick in the head and then he said the whole heart is faint which is to say that they have heart failure and then in verse 6 he says the soul of the foot even to the head there is so sound there is no soundness in it so he's basically saying they're sick from where to where yeah he says they're sick from head to toe he describes the wounds or bruises they have he says that they're sores they're raw wounds so not to be too graphic but they have these running sores or open wounds on their bodies he says they're not pressed these wounds are not pressed or bound up or softened with oil so they're not getting any medical attention and so this is a pretty strong description of sickness isn't it well the question I have is are they sick physically or spiritually do you guys know is this describing a physical sickness that people have or a spiritual sickness it's entirely spiritual there's no physical in these verses In fact, many of these people could have been completely healthy, physically speaking. Listen to what Jeremiah said to the Jews not many years later. Jeremiah 30, verse 12, For thus says the Lord, and again we're speaking physically, Your hurt is incurable, or your wound is incurable. Your wound is grievous, or it's very serious. There's none to uphold your cause. There's no medicine for your wound, no healing for you. So again a discussion of their sickness but we are not talking at all physically this is entirely spiritual in the context you don't have to turn there but the reason that he said it's incurable is because they had forsaken the only possible remedy which would have been found in a relationship with the lord and so to turn from the lord as the jews had in jeremiah's day there was no way for them to be medicated or healed or alleviated of this sickness And so there's some uh, good theology regarding man's condition in these verses. Despite what psychology might teach us or self-help experts, we cannot cure ourselves. There is no human remedy or or medication that we can come up with. We cannot try hard enough in our own efforts to fix our spiritual condition. We cannot be good enough. We can't sort of, you know, white-knuckle it or put forth enough effort that we suddenly become good people who are delivered from all of our sinful struggles and and weaknesses so because they'd forsaken the lord the only place that they could find healing jeremiah said that their situation was incurable and there was no medicine or healing for them now what's interesting is because probably because many of these people were religious they thought that they were healthy so interestingly you have very sick people who think that they're very healthy now, if you're sick, but you think you're healthy, are you in a dangerous or even deadly situation? Yeah, you are. If you're sick, but you think you're healthy, then you don't know anything's wrong. You are not going to try to get better. You're not going to make any changes. You're not going to seek medical attention or doctors or, or any help. You're probably going to keep getting worse and worse without even knowing it, until the point that you do learn it when you could be very close to dying or there might not even be much possibility of you being helped nobody goes to the doctor when they feel good you never hear people say I'm going to the doctor today because I'm I'm doing so well you've all heard wonderful stories about people whose sicknesses were caught early enough maybe people have come and told you you know i went to the doctor for this routine checkup and they happened to find this and i'm so thankful i i I thought i was healthy i felt good and i was at the doctor and then they discovered in in this routine checkup the sickness or or cancer even or disease that i had unfortunately they caught it as early as they did because i would not have been going to get any help because i wasn't even aware of it Uh, similarly we've heard stories uh sad ones about people who had a disease and they thought they were healthy and then it was and so when it's discovered early there's a considerably higher uh potential for treatment and for recovery and then you have people whose conditions are discovered much later and then the chance for treatment or recovery is vastly decreased for them and so it is a really serious thing to be physically sick and not know it but what's even worse to be spiritually sick and not know it if you're physically sick and you don't know it what is the very worst that can happen you die physically speaking I'm not minimizing that but contrasted with being spiritually sick and not knowing it what is the worst that can happen you can die but we're talking about the second death which we know as eternal death or eternity in the lake of fire that's what being cast into hell is described as the second death because you die physically that's the first death and then you experience a second death where you die eternally but you don't cease existing you just spend eternity in the lake of fire and so it is incredibly dangerous to be spiritually sick and not know it and this brings up an important question I want to ask what is it that would cause spiritually sick people to think they're healthy What is the one thing that would cause spiritually sick people to think they're healthy? I'm just going to tell you because I don't want anyone to blurt out any answers I disagree with. (laughs) Self-righteousness. No matter what you say, maybe this does sound prideful of me to say that there's only one right answer, (laughs) but it's pride. It is pride that has blinded you to your condition. It is pride that has blinded you to to your sin. And this brings us to lesson one self-righteousness is dangerous because it, lesson one causes us to think we're healthy when we're sick causes us to think we're healthy when we're sick one of the reasons self-righteousness is so dangerous now for those of you who are raised in Christian homes you are not going to understand this as well as I do you grew up in a christian home and from as early as you can remember you know people are sinners and you need a savior you've never known or heard anything else but if you like me were not raised in a christian home you spent your life believing kind of like anne frank it's interesting that this was required reading when i was in school and what did anne frank which is what kind of made her popular even though it was incredibly bad theology say about people that she believed in it, it was like one of her last journal entries that made her that made her so uh, well known she said people are still good she said i'm convinced that people are still good and so people are you know moved by this and and i do think it it says something about her her graciousness to be experiencing such horrible uh, aware such horrible treatment from nazis and then be able to look and say that she still believes people are good but if you don't grow up in a christian home And if you were to meet other people who are not christians or have not grown up in christian homes they're going to tell you that people are good they're going to tell you that they're good rare is the person you will meet who will tell you anything other than i am a good person listen to these verses when when someone says i'm a good person that's synonymous with i am spiritually healthy right i am not sick or in other words i don't need the great physician proverbs sixteen two. all the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes but the lord weighs the spirit all the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes and this describes the way we view ourselves that everything we do is right we don't think we do anything wrong even if we do think we do something wrong we can justify it we find excuses for it and this prevents us from recognizing our spiritual sickness proverbs 30 verse 12 there are those who are clean in their own eyes but they are not washed of their filth that's an incredibly strong contrast isn't it the people in their own eyes could look clean or moral or righteous but when God looks at them he says that they are covered in filth Hosea 12 verse 8 Ephraim which was the name for the northern kingdom of Israel they said ah but I am rich this is what the people of Israel were saying I have found wealth for myself in all my labors they cannot find in me iniquity or sin now Ephraim was another name for the northern kingdom of Israel just like the southern kingdom of Judah was named Judah after the largest of the two tribes Judah and Ephra- Judah and Benjamin sometimes the northern kingdom of Israel was called Ephraim after the largest of the ten tribes Ephraim and Hosea was sent to them because they were about to be wiped out by the Assyrians that is the context historically for Hosea's ministry he is this last-ditch effort to reach them before the Assyrians come out and uh, take them into captivity and so the, the point is this they were doing so badly spiritually speaking that God was about to wipe them out and he sends this incredible prophet to them to help them see their sinfulness and need for repentance yet when they looked at themselves what do they say I'm rich uh you can find no iniquity or sin in me I mean that's something when God's about to wipe you out because of your wickedness yet you look and say that there's no sin in me Laodicea was one of the worst churches in history you might remember a few weeks ago we looked at them and what did Jesus say about the Laodiceans he he said he wanted to do what with them because they were lukewarm just spit them out of his mouth but list, so imagine that you have christ w- wanting to spit this church out of his mouth but this is what they were saying about themselves revelation three seventeen: you say i am rich so jesus says that they were saying i'm rich i've prospered i have need of nothing not realizing that you are wretched pitiable poor blind and naked so that is an incredibly sick church spiritually speaking that thought that they were incredibly healthy and so it's completely possible to be spiritually sick and think you're spiritually healthy and it's pride that would cause that so that's why we need God's law to show us that we're spiritually sick I'll go through this quickly because we've talked about it uh different times in the past despite what the world but even if there's only a few people that don't know this it 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 would be worth repeating despite what the world thinks the purpose of the Ten Commandments is basically the opposite of what many people believe the purpose of the Ten Commandments is not to help us be righteous enough to go to heaven or show us that by obeying them well enough we can get to heaven in our own effort the 10 the purpose of the Ten Commandments is the opposite to show us our sinfulness and need for a savior or to show us how far if we look at this standard honestly look at these commands honestly how far short we fall from being righteous enough to get to heaven in our own effort Romans three twenty, by the works of the law no human being will be justified in God's sight since through the law comes the knowledge of sin when you look at God's law honestly and you see how many of the commands you break frequently you see you don't see how obedient you are you see how disobedient you are you don't see how righteous you are you see how unrighteous you are and how needy you are of a savior Romans 5 20 the law came the law came in to increase the trespass but where sin increased grace abounded all the more now it doesn't literally mean that God gave the law so that people would sin more when it says that sin would abound it, it means that God gave the law so that sin would become more obvious to us and we would see it abounding or springing up more in our lives as we become familiar with the standard that God has set and then better aware of our own sinfulness romans 7 7 paul said if it had not been for the law i would not have known sin for i would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said you shall not covet so paul seemed to think that he was a fairly blameless man uh, who who kept the law well until he saw the one area of the law that he'd uh, apparently broken that man is not to covet and so paul he must have known I'm not an adulterer I'm not a murderer I'm not all these other things but I am a coveter and then he was pierced to the heart convicted by that now there's one group which is building us up to Luke 15 who didn't know they were spiritually sick because they thought they kept the law perfectly and that's the religious leaders now turn to Luke 16. go and turn to Luke 16. we're going to look at a few verses pretty quickly And i think we'll be in luke for the rest of the sermon so luke 16 in verses 1 through 13 jesus teaches the parable of the dishonest manager and then look at verse 14. the pharisees who were lovers of money heard all these things and they ridiculed jesus so they knew jesus was criticizing them so they criticized him and look how jesus responds verse 15 he said to them you are those who justify yourselves before men but God knows your hearts for what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God so right here Jesus says that they were justifying themselves now I'm looking for a precise answer here I don't want to sound harsh but if you don't give me the exact two words I'm looking for I'm going to say that's not the answer I'm looking for (laughs) what does justify mean louder justify means declared righteous you should remember that because that's the gospel that we are declared righteous by god or justified by what this is the whole point of the reformation i mean this is the division from all works-based religions or in particular from the catholic church how are we justified or declared righteous by god by grace through faith how are we not justified or declared righteous by god by by works I mean that is the gospel there's nothing more foundational than understanding how man is justified or declared righteous by God or able I mean that's how man is able to go to heaven and how man is by being justified or declared righteous by grace through faith and how man is not able to get to heaven by attempting to be righteous by works or in his own effort and so right here Jesus says you are justifying yourselves before men so what's that mean they're declaring their own justify means declared righteous and so when Jesus says you justify yourselves he's saying you declare your own righteousness to men and this brings us to lesson two self-righteousness is dangerous because at lesson two prevents us from wanting Jesus's righteousness self-righteousness is dangerous because it lesson two prevents us from wanting Jesus's righteousness so justification is when God looks at wretched sinful people like me and declares me or us righteous by our faith in Christ and we are justified or declared righteous by grace through faith versus being justified or declared righteous by works and so that means God declares us righteous by our faith in Christ versus by our lives now if God had to declare us righteous by our lives or by our works he would actually declare us to be what (laughs) if God had to declare us righteous by our works or our lives he would actually declare us to be what guilty unrighteous or sinners so thank God that we get to be justified by faith by grace through faith and not by the way we live because the way we live reveals that we are not righteous or that we are sinners who need Christ And the problem is if you're self-righteous then you don't think you need the righteousness that comes by faith because you think you already have it and jesus said the religious leaders justify themselves they were declaring their righteousness they thought that they were spiritually healthy they thought they were not spiritually sick that's why they didn't think that they needed the great physician that's why they rejected christ throughout his earthly ministry but liquidus says after that god knows your hearts God knows your hearts. Well, what comes out of the heart? What's the big deal about God knowing your heart? Sometimes people say that like it's a good thing, right? God knows my heart. When you say God knows my heart, all you're saying is God knows how selfish and sinful I am. So don't ever say in your defense, well, God knows my heart. That shows that you probably, and I don't want to sound harsh, don't know what the Bible says about our hearts. Matthew 5, 19, what comes out of the heart? Righteousness, selflessness, love forgiveness compassion mercy Matthew 5 19 out of the heart come evil thoughts murder adultery sexual immorality theft false witness and slander and so when it says there they're declaring their own righteousness but God knows their hearts that's saying they declare they're righteous but God knows how unrighteous they are because he knows what comes from their hearts or he knows how spiritually sick they actually are turn to Luke 18. two chapters to the right We'll go through this pretty quickly. There's just one part I want you to notice. Verses 9 through 14 of Luke 18 contain the well known parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Verse 9, he told this parable to some. This would be the religious leaders. Notice this who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed, Thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, the extortioners, unjust adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all that I get. This is a man who thought that he was incredibly spiritually healthy. This is what it looks like to think you're spiritually healthy and in verse 9 I the words trusted in themselves that they were righteous I mean it's so beautiful it's so perfect to me it, it just bears so much witness to me because it was my life prior to conversion it was my life in the Catholic Church I trusted in myself that I was righteous I did not look to the righteousness that comes by faith because I was convinced that I was a good person because of the sacraments and because of what I thought was the moral way I lived which was actually a very immoral way of living but that's what self-righteousness does it blinds us to our pride and so here I'm trusting in myself that I am righteousness which gave me no appreciation for Christ no appreciation for what he would offer and this was the whole problem with the religious leaders they trusted in their own righteousness versus the righteousness by faith look at verse 13 This is what it looks like to recognize you're spiritually unhealthy tax collector standing far off wouldn't even lift up his eyes to heaven but he beat his breast and he said god be merciful to me a sinner jesus says i tell you this man went down to his house justified rather than the other for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled but the one who humbles himself will be exalted so the sinner who looked the most unrighteous is justified or declared righteous and the man who looked or at least claimed to be the most righteous is the man who is recognized as being unrighteous so the religious leaders show us that it's completely possible to think very highly of yourself while looking terrible to god in fact would not be too much to say that the more highly we think of ourselves the worse we look to god and the more awareness we have of our sinfulness then the better we look to god in verse 14 notice the words went down to his house justified i think i've shared this with you before there's just some times early in my uh, christian life reading the bible the stand out that i i haven't forgotten and this is one of those times reading this parable and it's like kind of going through it and then i it says he went down to his house justified and it, you know it's like kind of the hit the brakes like this screeching halt cuz i was thinking why in the world does it say he went down justified he's this terribly sinful person why doesn't it say that he went down to his house and then what do you think i thought it would say there forgiven i actually honestly i didn't even like that it said justified (laughs) because i didn't know what justification was i wanted it to say that he was forgiven do you want to be forgiven or do you want to be justified you want to be justified justification is twice as good as forgiveness (laughs) justification is incredibly better than mere forgiveness as good as forgiveness is john piper said justification goes beyond forgiveness not only are we forgiven but god also declares us righteous because of christ christ bears our punishment and christ performs our righteousness and when we receive christ all of his punishment and all of his righteousness is counted as ours so if someone said to you are you going to be punished for your sins well if you're in Christ what could you say my sins have already been punished so they don't go unpunished they don't go unpaid they're not left sort of lingering out there as though God is an unjust judge who allows sins to go unpunished it's just that they were punished on the cross through Christ Jerry Bridges said to be justified means more than to be declared not guilty it actually means to be declared righteous before God it means that God has imputed or charged the guilt of our sin to his son Jesus Christ and has imputed or credited to our account Christ's righteousness and so Jesus or justification offers us two things and this is very important justification offers us forgiveness and it offers us righteousness we receive both at the point of conversion it's known as double imputation your sins imputed to Christ's account so you're forgiven his righteousness imputed to your account so that you are is you're completely forgiven and you're completely righteous you're perfectly forgiven and you're perfectly righteous at the moment of conversion the most unfair but truly the most beautiful transaction in all of human history now, i want to briefly explain one of the more confusing accounts in the gospels and i don't think i'm the only one confused by it It seems like john the gospel john the baptist was confused by it as well so jesus comes out to be baptized by john and what does john say this is backward right i'm not supposed to be baptizing you you should be baptizing me and and we can even wonder why is jesus going out to be baptized And what did Jesus respond? Why did he say, allow this or permit this? Let me be baptized so that it will do what? He said to fulfill all righteousness. And then it says John the Baptist consented, which is a little odd to me because then it's like, okay, then John went along with Jesus. Like it was this tough thing for him to do. And so then he baptizes Jesus because Jesus said, I must be baptized so that it fulfills all righteousness. Well, what did that mean? so that he would do all of the righteous things necessary for you and for me to be given a perfect righteousness the only way that Christ could impute to us a perfect righteousness was if he had done all righteous things that a righteous person was expected to do including even being baptized why do we need Christ's righteousness why can't we just be forgiven if Jesus forgave our sins but didn't give us his righteousness we would be forgiven we'd be innocent but that's not the same as righteous to be righteous you have to do righteous things there's actually only two people in all of human history who were innocent and who's that nobody else after them has ever been innocent and who are those innocent people they didn't stay innocent that long Adam and Eve but they're called innocent because they weren't perfect if they were perfect they would have been innocent and righteous and if they and that's why we call it the dispensation of innocence because if they had been innocent and righteous then they would have been perfect or justified and so when we talk about Adam and Eve we don't talk about them being righteous but why could Adam and Eve not they could be considered innocent because they hadn't done anything wrong but they couldn't be considered righteous because they hadn't done anything good they hadn't done anything at all they just been Adam had just been created and Eve had just been fashioned from him to be righteous you have to do righteous things which they hadn't done briefly take your mind back to last Sunday's sermon Jesus said those who are well or those who think that righteous have no need of a physician but those who are sick or those who recognize their spiritual sickness have need of a physician and he says I haven't come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance now Jesus said this because if you don't think you're a sinner then you don't think you need you definitely don't desire the two things that Jesus offers you don't want forgiveness because you don't think you need to be forgiven and I completely remember feeling this way and you don't want his righteousness because you already think you're righteous and people who recognize they are our G- sinners hear Jesus's words and they say I need to repent I so I can be forgiven so that I can have Christ's righteousness and this is the language of the Beatitudes earlier when we talked about sickness we weren't speaking of physical sickness and typically when we're looking at scripture we're speaking spiritually so it's not physical sickness it's spiritual sickness and when we talk about hungering and thirsting are we talking about physical hungering and thirsting typically no in the Beatitudes this is the language of faith I mean, this is the language of people who recognize their sinfulness and desire what Christ offers. Matthew 5, 3, blessed are the poor in spirit or blessed are they who recognize their spiritual poverty for theirs is the kingdom of God. And they're going to receive the kingdom of God because they recognize that they're spiritually poor. They recognize that they don't have anything with which they could purchase their salvation or earn it or merit it. So they're looking for righteousness outside themselves matthew 5 6 blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be filled and that's how we know we're clearly not speaking physically here because if you're hungering or thirsting for righteousness that's some not something physical so this is a spiritual hunger and thirst and what people would spiritually hunger and thirst for righteousness people that know that they don't have it isaiah 55 1. come everyone who thirsts come to the waters again this isn't talking about physical thirst or physical water and he who has no money again this is not talking about physical money this is that spiritual poverty from the beatitudes where people wouldn't have what's necessary to purchase salvation and then it says come buy and eat come buy wine and milk and then listen to this come buy wine and milk without money and without price why would this milk wine food drink sound free or be presented as free when we know nothing's really free because it's not physical the food the milk the drink the wine all of it is a metaphor for salvation which if you're going to get salvation it's going to be free it's going to be a free gift it's going to be something that you obtain not through your own effort not through purchasing or working hard enough but by repenting and looking to christ in faith i want to illustrate this or i want to share what i think of as an illustration from of people when they are pursuing um, righteousness in their own effort that they're going to be good enough to go to heaven the the pursuit that characterized my life even very poorly for the first 20 some years of my life i remember one time i was talking to this good friend of mine he, uh, from from high school we saw each other after i'd become a christian and we had he was our class president and i was vice president for like four years we did all these sports together and so we were we we're just really close and he knew I became a Christian, and he'd send me these questions sometimes. And then we see each other in person, and, and it was really, really wonderful. I was, he had his children with him, and and I had a few of mine, and and so I knew he had this sort of antagonism toward Christianity. And I, he said to me, you know, you you would think that I could go to hell then, or you would think I wouldn't go to heaven. And I said, I think anyone that's apart from Christ that hasn't repented and looked to Him to be saved would go to hell. Not not just you and in myself apart from Christ would go to hell and then he said to me and I'll never forget this he said how could God send me to hell if I've done my very best and that's an interesting question isn't it because I and the reason I remember it is I didn't have a good answer at the time <laughs> and it grieves me so maybe I need to send him an, an email Because it was probably 10, 15 years ago that he said this to me, and it really bothered me if you've ever thought you've handled something poorly. And he said to me, you know, well, how could God punish me, basically, if I've done my best? Well, for one thing, none of us do our best, right? But the more I thought about it, the more I realized, if your best isn't good enough, none of us really deliver our best anyway, but if your best isn't good enough, well, then you've got to look for another way. You can't rely on your best if your best isn't good enough and that's what God says He says your best isn't good enough you're, you're not going to be righteous enough in your own effort but graciously I've provided this other way for you to be saved and I want to I want to provide an illustration of what I think of when people want to be saved in their own effort the Winter Olympics <laughs> they concluded a few days ago I think on February 20th was the last day do we have any Winter Olympic fans here a few two okay I'm just going to tell you I didn't I didn't watch any of the Winter Olympics because they don't have any cool sports The Summer Olympics have a lot of cool sports track and field, gymnastics, weightlifting, and of course, God's favorite sport. What am I talking about? Fishing. <laughs> 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 Who said fishing? <laughs> okay. <clears throat> Wrestling. Summer Olympics have wrestling, and so the Winter Olympics have these sports. And I'm using the word "sport" loosely, because I don't even really think that these are sports, Um, like curling. Yeah, who said curling? Yeah, curling. Curling is like shuffleboard on ice. You know what I mean? One time, I don't know if Rae remembers this, but she saw she saw people playing shuffleboard. She was younger, and she told Katie, and I quote: "She said." I know what they are doing they are cleaning the floor. <laughs> Do you remember that? Yeah, now actually I think a lot of mothers would probably say that cleaning the floor is more of a sport than than um, than curling. So luge, bobsled and skeleton are also considered winter sports and they're basically just what? sledding. They're just sledding. I mean consider that. It's like we're just so used to it. Sledding is an Olympic sport that's absurd to me that is insulting to people who are actually competing and breaking a sweat so i look i look at luge bob and skeleton and think now that's a sport i could do and win a gold medal in the olympics i could sled and i could possibly win an olympic medal now you might wonder why i'm sharing this and i'm sharing it for two reasons first i wanted to vent about the winter olympics a little bit (laughs) and second i want to share a story with you about a gentleman named matthew emmons now matthew emmons was an american sharpshooter and he was considered the best in the world and i want to give you an idea how great he was he's in the olympics and he had so seriously dominated the competition that on his last shot he had a three-point lead over the individual in second he okay that doesn't that might not sound like much but basically to win he needed a 7.2 just keep that number in mind to win gold he only needed a 7.2 the lowest score in the entire competition up to that point after all the hundreds or I don't know how many thousands of shots fired the lowest score had been a 7.8 and and Matthew's lowest score after nine shots was a 9.3 that had been his lowest score and he only needs a 7.2 which is more than two points lower than the score he you know his, his previous shots have all been over two points higher than this low score he needs so even a mediocre shot is going to give him the gold and so he's in he's won the gold in the prone position and with this gold he's going to win this historic gold in the three positions competition standing kneeling and laying um, and he's only one shot away and he takes careful lane and he fires and he gets a bullseye does anyone know what happened he was in lane three and he fired at the target in lane two and so not only did he not get gold, he didn't get silver, he didn't get bronze, he went from first place to last place because he was awarded a score of zero. One of his close friends, a teammate, Michael Ante, said, I feel awful for Emmons. It must be devastating for him. He was by far the best shooter in the competition. And in 25 years of shooting, he is the best I have ever seen anywhere in the world and this brings us to our last lesson self-righteousness is dangerous because it is shooting at the wrong target it is shooting at the wrong target so that friend of mine I was talking to who thought he was doing his best here's the thing it doesn't matter how good your best is or if we continue with a shooting analogy it doesn't matter how good your aim is it doesn't matter how hard you try it doesn't matter how sincere you are and are there some people in works based religions who are trying hard and who are sincere are there people attempting to be saved by their own righteousness who are putting forth considerable effort absolutely it it doesn't even matter if you get a bullseye if you're shooting at the wrong target which is what these people are doing which is what the people in works-based religions are doing Self-righteous people who believe they're getting to heaven by being good enough are like the people Jesus described in Luke 18:9 who are trusting in themselves that they are righteous. Romans 10:3 says, "They being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God." When it says they haven't submitted to the righteousness of God, what is the opposite of submission rebellion when people are trying to get to heaven in their own effort or trying to be righteous enough they are rebelling against God they are refusing to submit to God's way of being righteous which is by confessing our sin repenting of that sin turning from our sin and looking to Christ in faith crying out to him to be saved crying out that we are sinners who don't deserve heaven i mean do you understand that to to pursue heaven in your own effort is the exact opposite of the gospel because you're declaring you're good enough you're declaring your own self-righteousness versus crying out to christ to be delivered from your own righteousness and saved from your sin people seeking to establish their own righteousness have rebelled against the way that god has said man can be saved Now, we have talked about why people might not go to an earthly physician. They might not know that they're sick. But there's another reason that people might not go to the doctor. And it's basically that they don't want to do what the doctor is going to tell them to do. They don't want to go to the doctor because they know that the doctor is going to tell them to get more sleep or to get more exercise or to stop drinking or to stop smoking or to make changes to their diet or to lose weight or do these things differently and because they know they're going to hear something like that they just decide that they're not going to go and i think it's the same with jesus the great physician he said i have come to call sinners to repentance and there are just people who don't want to repent they want to continue to cling to their self-righteousness now if you want to be spiritually healed by the great physician you've got to do what he prescribes you've got to do what the doctor says you've got to repent John MacArthur said sin is called sickness and habitual sin is called addiction or compulsive behavior most people think it requires medical care but what is required is repentance if you don't want to repent you should not even bother looking to christ for me it was like christ was going to kind of add a little more righteousness to the righteousness i already had through the sacraments but the idea that i was going to repent was just foreign to me the idea that i was this sinner deserving of eternal punishment was like the the furthest thing from my mind and if you don't want to repent don't bother coming to jesus imagine people with diabetes who go to the doctor but they won't do what they're just not going to change their diet or imagine there's people with lung cancer but they know they're not going to stop smoking they might as well not even go to the doctor well if you're not going to repent you might as well not even go to jesus now i want to close with this verse about spiritual sickness that makes me thankful for christ jeremiah 10 19. It says, woe is me because of my hurt. My wound is grievous, but I said truly this is an affliction and I must bear it. And I think that the, author, the individual saying this was probably despairing. He's talking about this terrible hurt or wound and how grievous or serious it is. And you expect something hopeful or positive, And then he just says, truly it's an affliction and I must bear it. And i was reading that verse this week and i it made me really thankful for christ because we have a really serious wound we have a really grievous hurt we have a really terrible affliction but we don't have to bear it we have a physician who wants to make us well thank god we have a savior who came for the sick If you have any questions about anything i talked about this morning or there's any ways that i can i can pray for you or you feel like you've lived committed to your own righteousness and have not sought the righteousness that's available by faith or you have any questions in your mind please give me a chance to talk to you and and answer any questions father we thank you that you've provided a great physician for our spiritual sickness one who desires to make us well and we would pray, Lord, that if there's anyone here that is, that is in, uh, still spiritually sick, has not cried out to the physician to be healed, that today would be the day of salvation for them. We, we look forward to these verses in Luke 15. I know I look forward to them, uh, these wonderful parables, to see your heart for the lost, Lord. And, and even now, just be giving us that confidence that you do desire to see the lost sheep um restored and and that lost coin found and for that lost son to return home and so we thank you so much for that lord that you you don't expect us to make right our our spiritual sickness but that that it's something through humility and repentance you'll make right for us as we cry out to be made well lord and we thank you so much for that and pray these things in jesus name amen